baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. Welcome and thank you for joining us once again on KCBS In-Depth. I'm Jane McMillan. Well, if ever we needed a reminder as to why words matter, especially those from high-placed and powerful officials, we need only look at the provocative rhetoric exchanged over the past few days between the President of the United States and the Supreme Leader of North Korea. As everyone knows by now, one agency in the intelligence community revealed its belief that North Korea has achieved the capability to miniaturize a nuclear warhead that could be delivered on an intercontinental ballistic missile. But it is also thought the regime has yet to master a successful delivery mechanism. Still, This reported breakthrough has sparked threats by President Trump and Kim Jong-un against the other and now has not only U.S. lawmakers on both sides of the aisle calling for restraint in the president's language, but international leaders are doing so as well. There are so many questions. To what extent has North Korea really advanced its nuclear capabilities? Are we in any immediate danger of war from them? What should we be demanding of our own leadership to avoid such an outcome? We're going to pose all of these questions and more to my guest today, David Schmerler, Research Associate at the James Martin Center for Nonproliferation Studies. It's part of the Middlebury Institute for International Studies in Monterey. David Schmerler's area of expertise and research include not only North Korea's missile and nuclear program, but East Asian security in general, nonproliferation, and terrorism. David Schmerler, thank you very much for your time and expertise and for joining us on In Depth today. Oh, thank you for having me on. Let's start first with, you know, the, the rhetoric is, is incredible. Um, listeners uh, hearing this uh, day in, day out, 24-7 on the news, may be wondering, what the heck, you know, should I be, should I be you know, buying supplies, stocking up canned goods? Are... With this information uh, from this one intel agency, should we be panicked? Well, I've got some good news. Um, you know, it, it, it's alarming, but, you know, the world is not going to end. And I, I would not invest in canned food or bomb shelters. Um, the type of rhetoric we've been hearing uh, out of North Korea, however alarming, uh, for those people who don't uh, watch North Korea, um, like some other North Korean watchers that I work with do, they issue uh, very provocative rhetoric all the time. In fact, we, we've gotten quite used to it. But one thing that we haven't gotten used to, though, is the type of uh, you know uh, words being used by the president in response to uh, what is typically expected as being provocative language from the North Koreans. Uh, They've, you know, been testing uh, nuclear weapons designs for a couple, or uh, weapons themselves, uh, for a couple of years. They've done five tests so far. Uh, they have a, you know, alarmingly um, accelerating ballistic missile program, but it's they're not going to uh, nuke us out of the blue, if you would. So w- from the rhetoric and from any uh, ratcheted up tensions, what we 
Is it is it correct to say that what we should be more concerned about at the moment is perhaps the U.S. initiating something than North Korea? Well, again, I think I think both parties have cool heads. I think it's it's just the uh, the manner in which this conversation is happening is not productive. So, um, I mean, North Korea developed um, their nuclear weapons program out of fear of a U.S. military intervention on the peninsula for for whatever reason uh, the, the U.S. might have for doing that. So they developed a nuclear weapons program, and uh, they have been testing ballistic missiles for a while, but um, started uh, accelerating that. Because what they want to do is they want to throw another level of complication into any decision to put troops on the ground in North Korea. So you know, the North Koreans are uh, you know, aware and, and, and worried of uh, the American military superiority that they, we have over them, and that is the purpose for the, for the program. Um, it sounds, sorry, that, yeah, no, it, it sounds <laughs> as though uh, for a lot of for, – for North Korea and for other, uh, some other nations that having – because the United States, um, you know, Israel, France, Russia, China, because so many other larger nations have nuclear capabilities, that now it is seen that having one's own nuclear arsenal and delivery mechanism is the best deterrent against aggression. Is that a fair assessment? I think that's how the North Koreans look at it. If, if we look at the history of how the United States interacted with regimes that it was against or opposed to, uh, Gaddafi and Saddam, both of those countries had uh, WMD programs in, in some shape or form, and Gaddafi actually gave his um, program up. And as soon as things turned south for Gaddafi, the United States was nowhere to be found. In fact, they you know, provided assistance or probably provided assistance in, in the removal of that regime. And we did go into um, Iraq, right, and we removed Saddam. So the one thing that was common between both of those countries is that they didn't have a developed uh, nuclear weapons program. Uh, North Korea looks at that and sees how the United States, you know, feels about the uh, you know, North Korea in general as, as, as a state and at, at Kim Jong-un's regime. And there's no guarantee that, you know, we're not going to do the same thing for them. So the whole purpose of this program is to throw a level, an extra level of complication in any decision to intervene with military forces in North Korea. So this this process uh, in North Korea of trying to develop uh, nuclear capability and and then the delivery mechanism by which to use it has been going on for a long time. So what has changed in the last few days um, that that causes the kind of reaction we're seeing now from our own administration? Is it just is it just one intelligence agency uh, finding out? About this, we knew that they were trying to miniaturize and be able to deliver. Um, do we even know for sure that it's it's happened? Have other intelligence agencies corroborated this? Uh, so, as far as I I, I read, uh, or as far as I've heard so far, um, it, it seems like this is um, predominantly from the uh, Washington Post interview, uh, which I think cited uh, the Defense Intelligence Agency officials on the on the matter. Is this something that that is new? That that's you know hard, if not probably impossible, to know. Intelligence agencies have classified information and classified methods of determining things. So I can't quite speak to, you know, how long we've known, you know, that they can do this or whether or not it's just one agency versus others who are, uh, you know, disagreeing with it because those conversations are happening and they're not exposed to the public for, for good reason. Um, but this is something that the North Koreans have been saying they could do as early as March of last year, uh, 2016, Kim Jong-un was at a famous um, like a press uh, release meeting of, of sorts where he was standing in a weapons facility in front of uh, an ICBM design that they have not tested but paraded around for multiple years. 
and he stood in front of what looked like a, um, or yeah, what was displayed as an, an implosion-type device. Uh, it was presented in such a manner where he had this nuclear weapon, um, you know, mock-up, if you would, in front of him uh, next to a you know, re-entry vehicle in front of an ICBM. And their last nuclear test did use words indicating that they at least wanted the rest of the world to believe that the test was of a, um, a design that would go on the end of a missile. So the Washington Post article just comes out and, you know, kind of at least confirms in, in some sense, if it's true, that the North Koreans have or are very close to uh, completing a uh, design of sorts that could fit on the end of a ballistic missile. What it's since the public and as you rightly said, there's a reason why this is not all public that what the intel agencies are doing and talking about. But behind the scenes, it would do you think the process is that uh, it's it's going to before the United States would take any preemptive action um, that this would try to be verified between additional agencies or by additional agencies? Uh, a lot of that conversation, again, is is you know, happening has happened and, you know, possibly will happen without us knowing about it. And, you know, again, for, for good reason, because that, that is the uh, job of the, the intelligence agencies is to gather intelligence and, and, and use it and make sure other people don't know uh, the type of information that um, you do know. Uh, but I think one, one, one point to stress, though, is that if, if people are contemplating whether or not we should or shouldn't be intervening with military forces on the peninsula because of the recent exchange of information, I, I, would, I would highly recommend against it. Why? No, it's the, the casualties, and this has been attested to by other former military officials in the U.S., would, would be catastrophic of a scale that we have never seen before. And North Korea has had nuclear weapons for a couple of years now, and they're developing ballistic missiles, of course, but they're not going to, um, you know, we often, I think to cut to the core issue, we often um, assume that North Korea is a crazy state. Right? They, they'll just do crazy things whenever they want to because they're crazy. It's you know, repeated in media, it's repeated in movies, um, in cartoons and funny commentary. Uh, but they're a bit more, uh, as a state, it, it acts a bit more rational than I think a lot of people would like to give them credit for. It's not to say that it's a good state. It, it clearly is not. There are tons of humanitarian abuses going on, and the Kim regime is, is, is certainly not a good regime on, on any level. There is no other way to look at it. But when it comes to the survival of the regime, that is their number one interest and for them to initiate some type of conflict would inevitably lead to the end of that regime at a huge cost, of course. Again, like I said, it would be a catastrophic uh, you know, military uh, exchange, if, if you would, that that conflict would be horrible, but it would also end it, the, the regime. Like that, that is almost certain. So the reason why they have these weapon systems is to, uh, you know, again, make the United States think at what cost are they willing to remove the regime. What about so the, I'm sorry, what about those who argue, well, if they can't deliver it yet, this is the time to go in and take care of it? If that that is that that is a, that is a hard question to to answer. Um, we've we've been we've been setting goalposts for the North Koreans to cross thresholds, if you would, before we have to start addressing the issue seriously. Uh, if we do it now or or then or later, the casualties are still going to be catastrophic, even you know with out uh, nuclear weapons, the casualties in Korea alone would be would be horrifying. With conventional weaponry, we're still looking at millions of people lost. Uh, Seoul is a beautiful, lovely city, and I think it has a population or the metropolitan area of somewhere around 20 to 22 million people, and that's all within range of conventional uh, firepower. 
So even though we're, we're thinking, you know, we should take them out before they can hit us with a nuclear weapon, the casualties in, in, in the theater would, would be alone enough to fundamentally change the, the world as we know it. You know, we talked about uh, what kind of discussions are going on behind the scenes here at this end from the, our intelligence and, and our administration. Are people between the U.S. and North Korea still talking? While all, while, while all this rhetoric is going on in the, in the media between these leaders, are the, are, well, A, do we have diplomatic posts filled? I know a lot are unfilled. I don't even believe we have an ambassador to South Korea at this time. I, I could be wrong. Um, but are there open channels or is North Korea totally cut off from us and the rest of the world? Uh, again, much like the answer for the intelligence agencies, before you begin a more formal public um, you know, engagement with negotiations or communications, there are always going to be uh, levels of communications that you're not aware of because both countries don't want to lose face. If the United States goes out to talk to North Korea and North Korea says no, it looks embarrassing and, and, and vice versa. Um, so they're most likely, uh, you know, I, I can't say they're most likely, but I, w- I would not be surprised if I found out later, hopefully, if the situation were resolved, that there were informal uh, communications between both parties trying to establish some type of dialogue. The U.S. is going to go ahead, uh, it says, with the this, um, I think it's an annual large-scale... Uh, Military exercise. Right, right, with South Korea, and I believe that's the mm. week of the 21st of August. Um, is this an opportunity for greater tension or an opportunity because it happens usually to relieve tension? What are, what are the opportunities for mistakes or misinterpretation of actions while this is going on? While the purpose of the drills are to practice uh, collaborative work or you know, um, efforts in drilling uh, between both militaries in case of a conflict with Korea, or North Korea, if you would. Um, the North Koreans look at that as practicing an invasion of, of, of North Korea. So that's a very tense time. And, and I think as, as we get closer to that military exercise, I would expect uh, on a base level rhetoric to uh, increase in hostility. But you know, after these events, uh, I think historically we do see a drop off in tensions. Of course, it's not a complete end of tensions because tensions have been there and will be there as, as long as uh, we have this standoff between the United States and North Korea. Yeah. Uh, for folks who are just joining us, we are talking with David Schmerler, research associate at the James Martin Center for Nonproliferation Studies. That's part of the Middlebury Institute for International Studies in Monterey. I'm Jane McMillan. Give us a, a, an idea of the larger region. Part of your expertise is East Asian security. Uh, China, of course, is the big player and uh Pressure on China to deal with North Korea is something that the administration talks about. But um, how does Japan fit into this? What are the other players in the region and this balance of power and security? Well, uh, again, uh, China is, is always brought up whenever we talk about um, North Korea. Uh, but there, there's this common idea that China could end all of this if they wanted to. Uh, we might be seeing the president um, possibly escalating the situation to force China's hand into acting. But uh, I think that might be a bit of a misconception. You know, China does not have total control over North Korea. They're certainly North Korea's largest trading partner. They're, they're on the same borders. There's a historical alliance uh, from the the Korean War that exists to some extent. Um, But, you know, China has its own foreign interests. 
And, um, you know, while I'm sure they're not, you know, super excited with um, North Korea making provocative actions every now and then or uh, increasingly more frequently um, as, of, as of late, um, it's, it's something, the main issue is, is primarily between the United States and North Korea. And North Korea is looking for some type of uh, arrangement or agreement of acknowledgement as a state from the United States. So shifting blame to uh, China as being, um, you know, not single-handedly responsible, but being the uh, silver bullet for the situation uh, is a bit of an oversimplified uh, way of looking at the, uh, the issue. Moving on to Japan, Japan is very worried about this. Japan is regionally in range. They don't need ICBMs or MRBMs to hit Japan. And in fact, with their um, medium-range ballistic missile fleet, they have many of Japan's major cities within range. And, um, they could cause massive amounts of damage without nuclear weapons as well, just with their conventionally armed ballistic missile fleet. So they're certainly uh, very aware and, and, and uh, you know, not, not happy with uh, the situation in the region. And again, if we go back to the question of whether or not their ICBMs work, their, their medium-range ballistic missiles do. So if we're talking about any type of conflict in the region, um, you know, conventionally they can hit all of South Korea and large parts of Japan. So they're, they're very much tied to this, uh, this issue. Do you think North Korea is getting help in its nuclear program from any other players? It's it's, it's hard uh, to, for me to speak to that, but I, I do have a bit of a background in, in studying the, the history of, of North Korea's missile program. And, and that missile program did start with uh, the uh, import of Russian missiles uh, from Egypt um, back in near the end of the uh, 70s. And they were basing a lot of their uh, missiles up until recently off of uh, versions of what we would call a Scud-B. And up until recently, we started seeing newer versions of what were older Soviet missile uh, designs. And in fact, their most recent ICBM might uh, signify a break from over-reliance on older Soviet systems and signal a transition into more indigenous designs. So th there certainly was help uh, to the extent of uh, who's helping them. Uh, we certainly have you know, the initial connection with, with Egypt back at the end of the 70s, uh, some connections with Russia, independently with you know, Russian engineers uh, who were reportedly uh, caught going to North Korea who had an experience in the Soviet missile program. And North Korea has exported their missiles to uh, Iran and Pakistan as well. So th there, there is or there was certainly an, an established network. But um, at this point, it's a bit hard to say, although I will say that last year, um, the State Department placed sanctions on a group in Iran um, that was uh, involved in making Iran's liquid fuel missile systems. And they were sanctioned for um, working with the North Koreans on an 80-ton uh, rocket engine uh, booster. And just, I think, this year, we, we saw that engine for the first time, or no, end of last year, we saw that engine for the first time. So there is still some connection between Iran and North Korea, but to what extent, we're not sure. Well, while we're talking about other players involving North Korea, what other players might North Korea now give its capabilities to or sell its capabilities to or leverage its capabilities with? So that 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 is a, a great question. I mean, um, as I said before, the, there is some type of cooperation between Iran and North Korea, but that doesn't necessarily mean that um, th there is a huge weapons transfer from Iran to North Korea um, so that that that's uh, one point, but North Korea runs into a, um, a a bit of an interesting problem here. Even though they use proliferation networks to develop their 
weapons systems, uh, and, and they want to portray their weapon systems as being functional and certainly deadly, they don't want to add more fuel to the fire on, or I would hope that they don't. And in a couple of statements, I believe they have said so, that they would be a bit more responsible with these weapon systems because they want to be accepted as a normal state. So, um, I mean, depending on how relations between the United States and North Korea go, we, we might see some proliferation. But uh, again, that, that depends on um, how the relationship between both countries is. As we talk about non-proliferation, um, is, is that ever, in your opinion, a goal again? Kind of now that the toothpaste is out of the tube, now that, now that nuclear weapons are and have been since World War II available, um, when we talk about non-proliferation in reality, what are we talking about? Just containment? Or- we're talking about, so, yeah, at least from my uh, area of study, we're talking about preventing other states from acquiring these weapon systems. Uh, North Korea has a nuclear weapons capability. Uh, we, we can argue on, on to what extent they can deliver those systems, but they do have nuclear weapons now. They do have missiles that can be tested to ICBM ranges and you know they're they are testing reentry vehicle technology so uh, for, for North Korea I don't necessarily uh, see them giving that up uh, there have a lot of time is going to have to pass before we can breach that conversation but um, I think in regards to North Korea what we could be uh, focusing on is trying to stem the uh, advancement uh, the complex uh, development of more complex systems on the on the Korean Peninsula, because I, as it is today, I don't see the North Koreans giving up their weapon system. Do you see diplomacy as as still the best way of uh, stopping that continuation di- or expansion? I think diplomacy is the only way, uh, the only acceptable way to to, to stop that. Again, uh, you know, I'm sure there are military options for the peninsula, but. The, the casualties involved, the, the cost of a, another conflict on the Korean Peninsula would be catastrophic. So I would highly advise against it. Can we do that diplomacy alone, the U.S., or do we need other countries? If, if as you said, what North Korea really wants is acknowledgement of mm-hmm. its uh, government. Right. Uh, and mm-hmm. as a, a state player on the world stage, is that something that the United States is going to eventually have to do diplomacy one-on-one with North Korea, or will we need to always involve and want to involve other nations? Uh, yeah, that's that's the tricky part about uh, about diplomacy. I think ultimately, at the end of, at the, end of the day, we're we're going to have to involve other nations because you know it's, other nations are are there and, and involved in in any situation that uh, arises between the United States and North Korea. But I think that the, the main issues need to be solved between the United States and North Korea. At least that's how the North Koreans uh, see it. So. Uh, you might need other countries to uh, help uh, assist in facilitating the conversations, but a lot of the the legwork that's going to be done is going to be between the United States and North Korea. What do you tell tell your friends when they call you? You know, and they're hearing all this news, and they know huh. your expertise. And I come, I'm I'm right. kind of circling back around to the <laughs> to the first question I asked, and that was, should we all be you know storing up on canned goods? But you know, what do you what do you tell them? How do you explain? this in terms of, you know, hey, should should I be worried? Should we be worried? So I got a text a couple of days ago from my sister and she sent me, are we all going to die? <laughs> well, <laughs> eventually, I, yes, we yeah, all will. Right. But of course, <laughs> but tomorrow, no. Next week, no. Next month, no. Uh, I mean, you know, barring a horrible accident, knock on wood, um, you know, we'll, we'll all be OK. It, 
the, the issue is is not the impending doom of a nuclear exchange with with North Korea. The, the issue is that there is a real problem with North Korea developing more advanced weapon systems, and sanctioning them and and, and not talking to them hasn't solved anything. And, and in fact, it's gotten us to where we are today. That's not to say sanctions are are bad. Sanctions are certainly a, a, a key role in facilitating negotiations, bringing people to the table, and and showing that you're you know not supportive of uh, a certain action, and they should stay in place uh, to a certain extent. But ultimately, I think the only way we're going to get around this is by conversations. You know, if, I'm not looking for a, a home run right off the bat when the first American and North Korean uh, talk with each other. But um, I think just beginning that conversation and figuring out where both parties stand is, is an important step towards resolving this issue. Because up until now, it seems like um, sanctions alone and the uh, impending military threat hasn't done anything but accelerate uh, North Korea's uh, weapons program. What else might be diplomatically used in the form of a carrot? You know, the stick, the sanctions and the military threat, as you said, those two things have certainly not worked yet. So what might be right. the carrot part of that component besides acknowledgement from the U.S. that the North Korean regime wants? Oh, I, I, I wish I could answer that question. <laughs> but again, it's um, I, I don't have all the answers for that. And I, I think even to probably find the answer to that, you would just have to get both parties to the table and, and even some informal way to see where they're willing to, you know, uh, budge on certain issues and where they're going to stand their ground. What are the odds of regime change in North Korea? What, are, are you aware of any action within the state uh, to that effect? Or what might have to have to happen to open it up to the outside enough to where that might be a possibility? I think the North Koreans are very aware of that threat. In fact, uh, Kim Jong-un had his, his uncle removed, possibly because he was a bit too friendly with China, uh, maybe giving the Chinese an option to have North Korea without Kim. Uh, but I, uh, I I don't know. That, that That's hard to say. North Korea, is, is, it, it's uh, transparent in some parts, but most of the country is, is not. So uh, I'm not aware of any uh, internal components that uh, might facilitate regime change. Any other hotspots uh, in the globe that are close to, other than Iran, uh, that may be close to developing some type of a weapon with a delivery mechanism or a or a what, what what's called a dirty nuclear bomb a simple mm -hmm. well yeah so a, a dirty a dirty bomb would just be a, a, a bomb with a radioactive source attached to it so contaminating uh, surrounding ground it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a nuclear weapon of, of sorts but um, yeah, I think right now the, the, the big focus is on containing uh, North Korea and, and leaving them where they're at. Uh, I can't quite think of anything else beyond Iran, and uh, I think the, the Iran deal seems to be working uh, in that regard. David Schmerler, thank you so much again for the, your time and for your expertise today and for telling us we don't have to go out and stock up on canned goods <laughs> and that uh, we're, we're probably all okay as long as cooler heads prevail, yes? Correct. They couldn't have said it better. Thank you so much. My guest today on KCBS In-Depth, who has been helping us understand the situation with North Korea, has been David Schmerler, Research Associate at the James Martin Center for Nonproliferation Studies. That's part of the Middlebury Institute for International Studies in Monterey. His areas of research and expertise include not only North Korea's missile and nuclear program, but East Asian security in general, nonproliferation, and terrorism.
I thank you for joining us on In-Depth. KCBS, of course, will continue to cover any and all developments in the situation with North Korea. I'm Jane McMillan. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. And now available for download at kcbs.com. For all news, 740 and FM 106.9, KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 